Hello everyone. Y'all, I like that music. Didn't y'all like it? Y'all, it made me want to dance. <laughs> y'all, welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome to another episode of Excuse Me, I'm Speaking. You're here with your host, the one that does the most. But y'all love it. My name is Antoinette. You can call me Twinkle. You can call me She is Twinkle. As long as you're calling my name, that is all that matters. Y'all, I wanted to start off the show with a new, just a vibe, you know? I wanted you guys to have the feel of a live band. I think that's a sign I'm ready for vacation or something. So maybe, hopefully, I'm not in that feeling alone Mm -mm. all right so i know y'all are probably wondering girl where was you at last week i know i know let's just say i gave myself a week off for in honor of black history month like i feel like i should get a day off for a week you know yeah funny story i actually used to do that at my old employers on martin luther king day If they did not already give us the day off, I would simply take a PTO day or floating holiday because I deserve it, okay? I felt like that was, you know, a little ounce of black privilege there. Anyways, yeah, so there are some new things that I am doing in the show. Um, As you all know, we are... I'm saying we because you guys are on this new podcast journey with me. So I get to experiment with what works and what doesn't work, what days to put out the pod. So thank you so much for still following along and bearing with me and getting to know me and all of the feedback. So something new I am starting will be a mood check segment. The beginning of every show, we need to do a mood check, okay? Whether it is just me or it is me and a guest, we have to like have some type of realness at the beginning of this show. And realistically, everybody's not always in the greatest mood. Everybody's not always in a blah mood. We just need to do a mood check to see where we're going with this thing. Yeah, I got this idea from, you know how when you meet people, they say, oh, good morning, or oh, how are you? But a lot of times they're not actually waiting for your response. They just say, oh, how are you? And then they just keep walking or they just keep doing what they're doing. It's just kind of like a filler mm, question that they really don't care about the answer to. But really, if I have a guest on here or if I ask somebody that question in real life, I really do care about the answer because a lot of us just be operating just non-stop and we really just need to take a second and breathe and do a mood check all right so the mood for today is today I am optimistic like I'm not overly excited I'm not like having a case of the blues I'm just optimistic that today can and will be potentially a good day so that is my mood for today y'all do a mood check with yourself and maybe you have to check your mood figure out why you're in a low mood hey maybe you just need some vitamin d you need to go take a walk and get some fresh air and get some of that natural sunlight on your skin all right all righty then so 
The next part of the show, which will be new, will be a question of the day. So just to get things started, I know I used to incorporate this at all of my different jobs that I had. I would have a Friday fun question because everybody looked forward to Fridays. Everybody was happy on Fridays, but also a lot of people were tired by the time Fridays came because you just had such a long work week. Now, I want to incorporate that into the show as well. So my question of the day um, is actually inspired by the show Perfect Match on Netflix. And they released the final episodes of that show this week. It was a dating show on there and it was actually a really good show. So if you have not gotten a chance to watch that, you should definitely check it out. But Perfect Match and the couple at the end of the show that won the vote for the perfect match in the house. Their grand prize was an all expense paid one week trip to anywhere in the world that they wanted to go. So that is my question for today. If you could choose one place in the world to go for an all expenses paid trip, what place would that be? So I'm going to answer that question myself, and that is so easy for me. Yeah, Hawaii, I just, I, I, I don't even want to try a new place. I've been to Hawaii before, and if I could get a one-week all-expenses-paid trip back, I definitely would. Hawaii was just literal peace on earth. It was beautiful. I just like felt like so calm and like the air was cool. Just you could breathe easier. Now, the only time you couldn't breathe is when it was time to spend some money out. So that is why I would love to choose Hawaii for the all expense, all expense paid trip simply because Hawaii is high. Okay, so if I could go there all expense paid, it would just be amazing. I would have the time of my life. And either way, I just want to go back. So Hawaii it is. I want a private flight. Let's do this. All right. Y'all, y'all let me know what y'all answer to that question would be. Of course, you can always follow me on Instagram at sheistwinkle1, as well as if you follow me on other social media platforms, I am like really jacking up my words today. Y'all, I'm also on TikTok as well. She is Twinkle. Yes. So follow me on there. Send me your direct messages, comment on a picture. Let me know your answer to that question. What place would you go for your all expense paid one week trip? Now, moving on from there, Of course, I did a shout out to Netflix for the perfect match, the show. But there is another show on there, which is like a dating show that is very big. It is called Love is Blind. Yeah, Love is Blind just gives me my entire life. If you haven't seen it, you have to watch it. Um, It is basically a show about people meeting in pods. So they're just separate rooms. They can't see each other, but they can hear each other. And they're both sitting on relaxing couches and they're getting to know each other and kind of doing like a blind speed dating without actually seeing each other. So they're trying to test out whether these people can connect with one another um, on a 
just a intellectual level, like mentally, spiritually, emotionally, all those things rather than just physically. Okay. So they're trying to test out whether love is blind. Yeah. This show is addicting. I have watched season one, two, and three, um, just wrapped not too long ago. And season four is coming, I believe in March. So I brought up love is blind because so there was a fan favorite couple from last season's episode, which was SK and Raven. So he was just so patient with her, so calm. He wasn't pushy, like they weren't even touchy. Some of the other couples were all over each other. And SK and Raven like really took their time. Like he like barely rubbed her shoulder for like the first probably week after they had actually seen each other. Um, and so they were really like focused on like connecting with one another, getting to know each other. Um, she met his family, they met each other's friends, all of those things. So we were really rooting for this couple leading up to the moment of saying, I do Raven is standing at the altar. The minister is doing the exchange of vows between the two of them. And he gets to SK first and he says I do not (gasps) and we was all like what like what (laughs) like that was a major shock for me I just I was floored like if anything you thought like maybe she'll say no there's a slight chance but I don't know she's like really loves him and his mom and she's gotten to know his brother and all that okay, like maybe she's actually going to say yes. And, but this is the thing. SK was moving away, like right after the show wrapped to grad school in another state for two years, but they had been talking about that and they were willing to make it work long distance. Now that would have been fairly difficult in a marriage, but Hey, let's not pretend like military, um, couples don't do it all the time. They get married and then shortly after you see that one of like the spouse is deported and they're going to be gone for six months or nine months or maybe a year or maybe for an indefinite number of time, a period of time. But people make it work if you like truly love each other. So in this instance, SK says no. And she was I would have went off. Y'all I'm not lying to you. I would have snapped. Like you are, I'm up here in this beautiful dress and this makeup and in this headpiece that I compromised for. And you going to tell me no in front of all these. (sighs) Yeah, but it's not me. So let me pull myself together. But Raven like took it in stride. She just said, okay. And then she said, "Um, I have to go. And then she just like politely walked off the stage. You could see she was crying and she just went back to her dressing room. And his mom actually came back there and she was like, girl, I don't know what's wrong with him. I don't know why he said that. His mama was saying what we was all thinking. And he just standing there like smiling like, yeah. Afterwards, we see the reunion show, which is about a year later. And um, so from the update of SK and Raven, yes, they did not get married, but um, they determined that that that's what was best because she wasn't willing to relocate to where his grad school was. And he just felt like 
they need to take things slower and do it on their own time. And, you know, he was able to talk to her and eventually they ended up back in a relationship and dating again. And they both seemed like very happy. They were a lot more affectionate with each other. They were just all smiles. So we thought everything was all good. Yeah, after the reunion came out, all of these TikToks came out from all these other girls that he was supposedly dating. And it was just ridiculous because it was showing proof and receipts that he was dating Raven and these other girls at the same time. So, of course, social media, anybody can put anything out there. We weren't exactly sure what was happening because both Raven and SK were silent. At one point they put out statements um, just to kind of like respect their privacy as they get through this together and that there may be um, lawyers involved. So we didn't know what to think. So recently I watched an interview with Raven. Um, It is on YouTube. Her name is Raven Ross and she was very open in this interview and gave a full history um, because we did see an update episode of Love is Blind. It's called Love is Blind After the Altar. And we see that they got an apartment together and that he reproposed to her again. Well, in her interview, Raven spilled all the tea, okay? And Raven said that the stuff was coming out um, all of, in the news all while they were living together. And so her phone was going crazy. His phone was going crazy. He was like not straightforward with his answers when she's asking him questions as to what was going on. He would literally be thinking right in front of her, taking a very long time. Like, if you're going to come up with a lie, like, think quick. Goodness. But he was just very dismissive of her feelings and he was denying a lot of things. And then at one point she's like, please just tell me, just get it all out, get it over with. And like, we will just move forward from there. There was a period of time where we were just talking and we weren't officially back in a relationship. So let's just, just let me know everything. I don't want anything new to come out. He would never tell her everything at once. At some points, he made her feel like she wasn't his type or like less than, which is absolutely horrible um, because she's gorgeous, especially compared to him. And it was just a very toxic relationship as far as him playing with her emotions and her just being lost and all of these things coming out at once. And it's just too much for one person to handle. And so it would be him taking girls on um, trips out of the country. And then he goes to the same locations with her and he's pretending like it was his first time there or calling her while he's on these um, like group trips. But really, it wasn't a group trip. It was a couple's trip. She just wasn't his significant other on the trip, although she was his significant other in real life. It was just, it was a lot. So I really felt for her. And so I thought to myself, because typically uh, we hear of in the African like heritage, um, like some of their traditional values and don't quote me, but from what I've seen from different Um, African families that I've known is that polygamy is totally normal in their culture. And so according to SK, he said he doesn't believe in polygamy, but obviously he does because why are you seriously dating 
three different girls at once and he spoke to them all the same way raven saw text messages and everything so now that leads me to the question of what are your thoughts on polygamy? I am just very curious to know if any of you want to share, of course, DM me on Instagram. I want to share my thoughts with you guys. I just personally believe that it is like hard enough in your own relationship, whether you are like seriously dating someone or whether you're married I can speak for myself like I know sometimes like I can probably be a lot like my husband sometimes he's like smooth sailing and then sometimes like you know either one of us could be having a bad day it is like hard enough to deal with one person let alone why would you want to be obligated to like three different wives that is insane to me <laughs> like it's hard enough to juggle multiple friendships like I could never juggle a polygamous relationship are you kidding me and is that a real relationship anyway like you're not really fully invested in one or the other I think that it is like an unreal like fantasy in some people's minds and I just can't want it. In in the words of my daughter when she was two years old, I can't want it. Y'all let me know what y'all think and we will keep that conversation going offline. Now, beyond that, the main part of today's show, y'all know is a part of my podcast. I also do show reviews, which I guess I just kind of did a mini review for y'all. But I have to be honest and say that, yeah, I was wrong. I was wrong. Yes. So on, on a few podcasts ago, I had mentioned during my streaming news updates that you season four, part one was out and do not waste your time watching it. Now, I really meant that when I said it, okay? So I speak to one of my cousins uh, fairly often and she was giving me feedback from the show and she told me you got to give you another chance it is actually very good you just have to stick in there and I'm really looking forward to part two coming out so typically me and her we like the same type of shows uh, my brother had also seen it as well and he said it was really good so I said, okay, I can take their word for it. Let me just start it over like when I'm not tired, when I don't have a bunch of other things on my mind, when I'm not playing something in my phone and let me give it its full, my full focus and attention and maybe it actually is good. Have y'all ever had to do that? You know, start a show over like three times and then you're like, oh, this is, this is actually really good. Yeah, that's me. So I did it and I am so glad that I did it. You is season four is totally different from the previous three seasons, but it's every bit of worth it. Okay, so today I'm going to give you all my recap and review of you season four part one. Okay, so this is spoiler alert right here. 
Now, for those of you that have not seen the show, you, and you feel like, I'm not going to relate to this part of the podcast. That is totally not true, okay? That means that you have never listened to a detailed review of mine. If you want to go listen, feel free to go to YouTube and type in Twinkle's Take and you will find a younger version of myself, of course, with several videos. There should be nearly a hundred of them. And I did did TV and movie review. Sorry, I did TV and movie reviews constantly and very detailed. There were literally people that didn't watch the shows I watched, but they kept up with it simply because I did the reviews and it was so detailed, it felt like you were watching the show. So y'all give me credit and don't click out of here. I promise you won't regret it. All right. So before I start off with season four, let me give y'all some background on you and what type of show it is. So to begin with, you, Y-O-U, is a show that started on Lifetime. Oh, So me saying that it started on Lifetime, if you have ever heard of women watching Lifetime shows or Lifetime movies, then you you should know what kind of direction we're going in. So (laughs) Lifetime typically is like, you know that there's like a stalker or there's like a killer or there's like a like single mom or there is like there's some type of media scandal like lifetime just like has all the tears and all the drama and people trying to escape and it is just like a little crazy channel but like women love this channel okay so it started on lifetime just the first season and then netflix had released the full season on Netflix and then they picked it up from there so now it is a Netflix show and they have gone on for several seasons so I'm gonna give you a little bit of how the last season ended so that you it makes sense going into this fourth season so the main character on the show is a guy by the name of Joe Goldberg now Joe Goldberg is the type of guy that a lot of young women believe that they want their significant other to be like. Okay, so imagine maybe if you're a young woman or when you were younger, in your mind, you may have thought like, oh my gosh, I want him to love me so much. I want him to be obsessed with me. I want him to notice everything about me, like the way my my eyes sparkle in the, in the moonlight. I want him to know what my favorite drink is, my favorite breakfast meal, my favorite color. Um, what did I tell him last week on Tuesday at 2.30 p.m.? What is my favorite book? All of those details. So that's what you think that you want. Okay. Now, in order for somebody to master all of these things and know all of these things about you, they have to either be a stalker or be a borderline stalker. Their life has to revolve around yours 1000% for them to know all of these details about your life. So Joe is exactly who that person is. Joe sees a woman, he becomes fascinated with her everything about her the way she smells her friends the things that what she goes to school for the things that she eats where she lives 
completely just fascinated and invested in their life to the point where he makes sure that he's intentionally placed like in whatever setting that they're going to be in so that they can quote unquote accidentally bump into each other. He will literally like secretly break into their house and like smell their clothes and learn a little bit more about them. And he is just like, there's no boundaries with him, but he comes off as such a nice, innocent guy where like they start to fall in love with him as well. And they're like, how did you know that about me? And he's like, oh, I just pay attention. Literally, he was paying attention to you, like standing outside of your house at night, looking at you through the window. You just didn't realize it, but you think it's cute but it's really crazy all right so Joe is that type of person so every season it's like a girl that he falls in love with and eventually the love gets a little scary and like something just traumatic ends up happening I don't want to ruin the seasons for y'all because if you watch season one two and three then you will still get the entire feel of it but season three ended with Joe um he was actually married to a woman by the name of Love. Now, Love, we thought she was normal in the season prior, but come to find out, which we knew going into the third season, is that Love is just as crazy as him. Love has figured out the type of person that he is because she's watched him from a distance, and she is his female, like, match, basically. She's just as crazy. She's gotten rid of some people for him. So... He no longer loved love, which love is the name of his wife. He no longer loved her and he had to get away from her because he thought that she was absolutely crazy, although she did the same thing as him. So he literally framed her for like a double murder um, of herself and him and he set the house on fire and then he literally cut off his own toes just to leave evidence so it would look like the rest of him burned up in a fire, but they could identify him by his toes that were left there. He didn't cut off all his toes. It was like, I don't know, like a few of his toes on one of his foot on one of his feet. Okay. So his idea of leaving was because he was actually in love with a girl by the name of Marianne. Marianne worked at a library. Joe is a author. He is loves books he loves to read and write so he just became fascinated by Marianne because Marianne was intellectual just as he was and they had similar interests well in Joe's mind he no longer wanted to be with love and he wanted to be with Marianne so he was going to run away with her Well, Love got wind of this and Love literally put a paralyzing agent on like the cutting knife at the dinner table. Marianne shows up so that she can leave with Joe and Love catches her off guard and Love wants to get rid of Marianne, but then Marianne's daughter walks inside. Love feels bad. So then she says, hey, get out of here as fast as you can. Just go. Joe is a really horrible person. Hey, you know that tragic accident that happened to um, the father of your child? Yeah, it wasn't tragic. It was intentional. It was Joe. He's crazy. Just move away and I'll take care of him. So crazy roller coaster right there okay (laughs) yeah y'all have to watch this show so Marianne leaves we know that one of Marianne's dreams is just to like run off to live in Paris and 
just be free of all the craziness in the current town that they live in. So at that point, Joe is paralyzed, but he already knew that she was like plotting to set him up, meaning love, because she was playing with a certain plant in the garden. And that plant is known to be a paralyzing agent. So he had already taken um, a substance that would counteract that paralyzing element so that he was no longer paralyzed. And then he had his wife love consumed the paralyzing agent and then he literally left her there in the house and then set the house on fire now we never see like a burnt body but we assume how could she have survived that okay so now they do have a child together at the end of the third season which is the only reason why he didn't get rid of her But the child, of course, could not like survive with these two crazy parents. So he literally did a baby boy drop off and dropped off his son on one of his friend's porches and rang the doorbell and left. And it's like, are you the new stork, Joe? Like, who, who, who in the world would wake up and like, their doorbell rang and they looked down and there's a whole baby. Are you kidding me? Like, is this a joke? Yeah, that's a lot. But all right, we love the kids. So now at the end of season three, we see Joe. He is like reading about all of the newspaper clippings that are out there about this crazy couple of love and Joe and how the wife was deranged and how she like set their house on fire and it was a tragic story and now they no longer exist right so Joe is happy with that because now he we see him standing in Paris France and we already know he is there because he is obviously looking for the love of his life the librarian by the name of Marianne. That is how season three ends. Now, fast forward into season four. Season four does not actually start off in Paris. It starts off in London. So we see Joe, he is teaching a class, okay? So this class is for English literature. Um, We see his students are like very intrigued into what he has to say and they refer to him by another name, not by the name of Joe. Remember, Joe is supposed to be deceased, right? So he has not really changed up his appearance. He grew his hair out, but he really looks like the same like crazy guy if you look up the newspaper clippings, but I digress. Anywho, so... Now we see that Joe has an apartment in London. Um, He has a teacher friend. The teacher's friend's name is Malcolm that helped him get the apartment and the teaching gig as well. Um, Malcolm's apartment is across the way. Literally, when he looks out, when Joe looks outside of his window, you can see Malcolm's apartment. Oddly enough, Malcolm has a girlfriend by the name of Kate. Kate is a very pretty girl, so you automatically know, like, Joe, don't fall for it because you know your crazy ways follow you everywhere. So 
Kate and Malcolm, they they don't seem like the sweetest couple. Like you see like Malcolm obviously like cheats on Kate when she's not there or he leaves her there by herself a lot and he's just out doing his own thing. But again, Joe knows himself. So he's like, we're not going to be fascinated with her. Just ignore her. This is not a big deal. Why can I see straight into their house? The only way to not know something about somebody and to mind your own business is to know everything about them. I don't know how he made sense of that, but that was his explanation. So one night, Joe sees Kate being robbed in the parking lot and he is like, Captain, save him, Joe. And so he feels like, oh, this is a woman in distress. Like I absolutely have to do something. And this begins the fascination with Kate. Joe literally goes, gets in his car and he honks the horn. So of course it catches the robbers off guard and they run away. Kate then wants to call the police, but Joe cannot be in contact with the police because they might match him to um, his um, faking his death. So he's like, please don't do that. My visa, my work visa is like not all the way clear. Can you just not call the police? She's like, that's weird, but okay. So don't call the popo. She doesn't do it. She goes into her apartment. She tells her boyfriend, Malcolm, what happened. Malcolm is all jolly and happy. So he's like, goes next door and was like, hey, hey pal friend like thank you so much for like saving my girlfriend's life and helping her from that robbery you know what I'm gonna treat you why don't you come and hang out with me and my rich clique okay so he takes him to a club the club is called the sundry house which is owned by one of his friends Adam so yeah let me break down this rich clique to y'all okay so first y'all already know we have Kate and Malcolm those are the next door neighbors Malcolm invited Joe to a party a like elite party where it's by invite only and it's only the finest of the finest in there right okay so we have I mentioned Adam because Adam owns the club that they're going to Adam is like there's nothing special about him really his family just has money um I'll get to this little tidbit about Adam, but his girlfriend is Phoebe and Phoebe is just very like social media. She's all into it. She really cares about like likes and views and what people think of her. But then she like really wants this relationship with Adam to work as well. She doesn't really feel like he's all that into her. So you could see like her insecurities bleeding through as well. Side note, Adam has like this secret little like fetish of his that will come up later on in the show. So then a part of the rest of their rich clique, um, they, I can tell y'all what I remember. There is another rich socialite by the name of Jenna. There's another rich guy by the name of Rold. You can immediately tell he kind of has a thing for Kate, but he just keeps it to himself because of course she's with Malcolm. Um, and then people really don't take that well to Malcolm because you could tell that like nobody really likes him. They just deal with him. Then we have a Nigerian princess. She's like very negative about everything and very stuck up. But her name is Blessing. 
Um, and then we have Simon and Sophie. Simon is an artist and he has a sister named Sophie. Um, the odd thing about Simon is that he may not necessarily be an authentic artist, but I'll tell you guys about that later. And then last but certainly not least, we have um, someone else that he met at the party by the name of Reese Montrose. Reese Montrose is an author and he wrote a book because he grew up poor. Then he found out he was related to a duke and then he came into money. So that was a weird experience for him. But he kind of has the same sentiments as Joe as far as why are we at these this party? These people are so weird. They're just like rich people and they don't care about anything or anybody but themselves. But dude, you're rich too. Whatever the case he is that one person at the party that Joe feels like he can actually like talk to or, you know, laugh with. Now, at this party, Joe is like peer pressured to drink, like drink, drink, drink. Joe is typically not a drinker. You don't really see him drink a lot on any of these seasons. Well, he drank and I think they said it was absinthe or something that he drank. I don't know. Y'all know I'm a nerd. I Googled it and absinthe is like not safe. It's like actually dangerous. But hey, whatever. He was peer pressured into drinking it. He survived. He woke up in Malcolm's apartment. He didn't know how he got there the next morning, but he survived and Malcolm was deceased on the counter with a knife in his chest. And Joe is like, whoa, 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 what happened last night? Now, I can't say that Joe is not capable of doing this. You will learn from past seasons, Joe has done those types of acts several times. Now, he always had a reason for it. He felt like he was doing it for love. He had no choice. In this instance, Marianne is not around. She's nowhere to be found. So he's not presently in love with anyone else that would cause him to do such a vile act to Malcolm that was supposed to be his friend or at least his work buddy that he was getting to know. Whatever the case... Now it turns into a full case of who done it. So these first five episodes of you is all based on who done it. Uh, we also have a flashback of when Joe first got to Paris. So when we saw him in Paris at the end of last season, Joe got first got to Paris. He was looking for Marianne at an art fair because she is an artist as well. And so he makes eye contact with her he does see her and he is like caught off guard because he thought like oh perfect she's gonna be happy that she thought I was dead but I'm actually alive and I flew all the way here to Paris to like find her and capture her love once again whereas in Marianne's eyes it is like you are insane oh my gosh this is a nightmare come true so Marianne takes off running through the city of course Joe feels like he is like chasing after the love of his life we're really like he's stalking her and scaring her 
So whatever, he comes in contact with her and he's like, please, like, you know, she tries to pull out a knife and he got it out of her hand. And he's like, I just love you so much. Why aren't you excited to see me? And she's like, I don't want anything to do with you. Just please. And she was like, I just just let me go. Like, if you love me, you will just let me go. And he wants to prove to her that he's not this monster of a person that she thinks he is. So he lets her go. Meanwhile, he's like sappy. He goes into a coffee shop. Somebody comes and sits at his table. A man that looks like he's been following Joe. He's a private and he's kind of like a private investigator. The man actually was hired by Love's family. Remember, Love is his wife. Why would the Love's family hire somebody to go and find Joe? Wouldn't they assume that he burnt up in the fire? Did love actually burn up in the fire? Hmm. I guess we'll find that out eventually. Anywho, so the private investigator is also like a hired hitman. So Joe already knows what it is. And he's like, okay, just do what you got to do. Like, I know what you were hired for, obviously, to get rid of me. And the hitman is like, yeah, but I kind of want to retire from that job. You know, don't you get tired of getting rid of people? This is too much. Look, you seem to be a decent guy. Maybe you want to change your ways. I totally get it. Here is a new identity. Your name can be Jonathan Moore. Jonathan Moore has like a great background. You can get a job wherever you want. He has good credit. Be this Jonathan Moore person. Here's your ID, your passport, all of that. And we just don't want to hear from you again. Just keep a low profile. But there is one person that knows that Joe Goldberg is still alive. And that is Marianne, the girl you've been following. So You need to do one last deed and get rid of her completely deceased and then send me evidence. Give me a call, send me a text, and then we'll call it even and you'll never see or hear from me again. And you can move on with your new life as Jonathan Moore, Queen Slate. So Joe is like, dang, this really sucks. Like now, like I have to kill her. Like, this is really unfortunate. This is how he acts every single time. Like right before he gets rid of somebody, he's like, I really don't want to do this, but I guess I got to do it. Joe is like crazy. So (laughs) come to find out, he really wants to prove to Marianne because he knows, well, the hitman told him that Marianne will be on the train out of Paris the next morning at 8 a.m. She bought a ticket. So that's the perfect timing to get her. So, of course, Joe shows up to the train station the next morning and he Joe's disguise is always a baseball cap. Like, I don't know how he thinks that's hiding anything, but whatever. Joe puts on this baseball cap and he is like following her through the crowd. She then he like bumps into her and gets close enough. She doesn't see his face, but he snatches her necklace off and then he turns the other way and keeps walking. But there's so many people walking on this pathway where that she would have no idea who is the one that like snatched her necklace off. So then he literally watches her get on the on the train and he realizes she's safe. And that's his way of proving to her and himself that she is all good. I'm not the person that I once was. 
So now Joe takes a picture of the necklace in his hand and sends it to the hitman and says it's done. Which that was the stupidest thing that he could have done. Like, why does a necklace just prove that you got rid of her? Like, you could have went to buy that necklace at Walmart and said that it was hers and this was the last piece of evidence you have. Like, like dang, at least you could have, like, had her ID. Like, that's the stupidest thing ever, but whatever. Yeah, so I guess the hitman believed him. Then it, like, flashes. You get out of the flashback and it comes back to reality. And now he is this Professor Jonathan Moore, okay? So who this rich clique, they all met Jonathan Moore. They are just really weirded out by the fact that he's even there and they're trying to figure out, like, what is it with him? So that's why they got him drunk and they were trying to ask him questions. Meanwhile, when Joe woke up in Malcolm's house and he realized that Malcolm is dead on the counter he doesn't know if he killed him or not and so he literally like the professional that he is wraps him up in a carpet puts him in a trunk and then proceeds to go to a far out location and starts up his like chopping work and literally gets rid of the body crazy okay so when joe actually gets home he receives a text message and he has like, but the text message isn't a regular text on his phone. It's coming from an app called like Evanescence. And so the app was literally disappearing text messages. He never downloaded this app on his own phone. So obviously someone got a hold of his phone probably while he was drunk and they put this app on there. So and the messages he was receiving kind of said like, wow, like, I didn't expect this to happen with the Malcolm thing. I didn't know you'd be able to get rid of him so well. I'm intrigued. Who are you? Why are you really here? And he just keeps getting all these messages, but they pop up and they disappear. They pop up and they disappear. And so Joe is freaking out because Joe has just realized like, oh, this person that's texting me, they're literally saying, thank you for cleaning up my mess. I was going to put the murder on you, but you so cleanly got rid of the body. So now Joe is like, are you kidding me? I've been freaking out all day thinking I've gone back to my old ways and that I have killed this guy and I actually didn't, but I'm like now an accessory to the crime because I covered it up. Craziness. So he is like, who is playing with me? Who's trying to frame me? It could be any of these people that I live around, all these rich people that were weird towards me. Now I have to do a process of elimination. So the season turns into a whodunit, okay? Like a murder mystery, Agatha Christie type of feel. So Joe goes to the library because he absolutely hates murder mysteries, but this is what his real life has turned into. So he is doing research on it and like trying to figure out like, how do you figure out the clues to do a process of elimination? Let me read other stories in literature to see how they figured it out. And I can apply this to my real life because I have to find this person before they figure out that I am in fact, Joe Goldberg. And, you know, then he can go to jail and his life is over. So then we see one of the students from Joe's class is also in the library and she is fascinated with murder mysteries. And she's like, oh, my gosh, are you working on a new project for our class? Is it like a new lesson assignment? So he says, yeah, of course, like he's not going to tell her what he's really doing. 
So she's like, I can help you. Okay. So I am like a fanatic when it comes to these murder mysteries. The number one thing is that, um, that you have to remember in murder mysteries is that nothing is a coincidence. Okay. And the first person that you think is the obvious suspect is usually the second victim. And he's like, okay, I'll keep these things in mind. So he's taking mental note, okay? He's breaking into Malcolm's office and his house. He's very discreet about these things. He's looking for notepads, trying to find information. Meanwhile, every time he sees Kate or he's within a certain proximity of her, she's leaving Malcolm voice messages. And she's like, I haven't heard from you in a day. I haven't heard from you in three days. It's been a week. Even if you're cheating on me, can you at least call me and tell me that you're okay? Okay, so she seems to be the only person that's worried. People, a few of his friends may have been like, hey, have you heard from Malcolm? Like, weren't you the last person that was with him? And he's like, no, Malcolm dropped me off at home. Um, I haven't heard from him since then. Like, I was like barely conscious. So they're like, okay, well, Malcolm was a prick anyway. It's like very weird. None of Malcolm's friends actually really care about him. So then Joe is going to different events around this rich clique of people and he's trying to figure out like what exactly is going on and who may have had a motive to get rid of him. Obviously, we start finding out Malcolm wasn't the greatest person. So really any of these people could have had a motive to get rid of him. So then um, Joe starts veering more so in the more so in the direction of, hey, maybe it's the Simon guy, the artist he would have something financially to gain from this um, because um, I believe that he actually owed Malcolm money. So if he gets rid of him, then he doesn't have to pay for it. So Joe is watching him, watching him, watching him. Next thing you know, Joe falls asleep outside, literally watching to see if Simon will come outside of his apartment. And in the midst of him falling to sleep, Ding, 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 Simon becomes the second victim. So it is not Simon. Alrighty then. Well, now that's another person that's gone down. So now the story breaks randomly in the news that Malcolm is deceased and it is a murder and they have to figure out who did it. Joe has no idea who released this story. Obviously, it's the person that's trying to blackmail him, that's sending him these anonymous messages. So Joe is freaking out because now he knows that Kate is probably the next target on the list. He doesn't believe that Kate is the person that is blackmailing him, but he is like, I can't afford for another person around me to die. So I am going to literally like just follow her like not make it obvious but just to make sure she's okay so obviously um the funeral for Malcolm comes up um and Kate is just distraught she's being really like rude to him and she's also like who are you are you around my boyfriend has been murdered like I'm just trying to figure out life and all the friends are questioning him, but obviously Joe really didn't do it. But at the same time, Joe has to filter through these questions he's receiving while also being on the lookout for the real murderer in the room. And so, of course, he like follows Kate around the city. She is emotional. So they somehow they end up physically involved with one another she blames it on grief and like needing to not think about things but really there's always been this sort of 
tension between Joe and Kate. So they end up hooking up like a few times during the season and she starts to grow closer to him. Um, At one point, Phoebe, one of the rich people, she has a bodyguard. He's watching Joe very closely because he's noticed Joe watching all of the rich click. And he corners him at one point and was like, aha, it's probably you. I think you're the one that is the murderer and you're killing all of these different rich kids because now no nobody was dying until you showed up. So Joe is like having to fight for his life because literally the bodyguard had a gun and he shot him in the foot and he was very caught off guard when nothing happened but Joe cut off his toes on that foot so of course it didn't hit anything clever clever so that point he literally has to fight for his life and the bodyguard is deceased and he has to dispose of him and then oddly enough nobody else speaks of the bodyguard it's very weird but ultimately Um, By the fifth episode, um, all of the rich clique, they want to get to know Joe and they just need a weekend away because their friends keep dying and passing away. So they're like, hey, let's do a group getaway. So the group getaway is to like this medieval like castle home and they're basically trying to like fake a murder mystery there to figure out who who is the killer of this like fake murder plot story that they've made up. They all are like dressed up in like medieval like costumes and um, like mask and all of that too. So of course, while Joe is there, Kate's room is next door. He ends up like hooking up with her again. And like all of these rich kids, they drink a lot, but then there's drugs involved. And then different people are approaching him. Like, I think you're the one. And then other people are just looking really suspicious. And then next thing you know, we see the Jenna girl, one of the rich socialites. She is found deceased on the bedroom floor of Kate's room. At that same time, Joe walks in to check on Kate and he realizes Jenna is like sprawled out across the floor. So now Joe is completely freaked out because he's like oh my gosh am I reliving my marriage with my wife like is this the same thing did I think you were a nice and sweet girl that I was falling for and now you're a killer too like I should have seen all the signs from the beginning Joe is freaking out so he's like we're not gonna play this game did you do this and she's like of course I didn't do it but you're not gonna believe me are you I walked in here and she was like this so she's like can you please just like help me like do something with this like figure it out So Joe is like, gosh, at this point, we're both like equally invested because she can just lie and tell everybody that I did it or I can tell everybody that she did it and they're not going to believe me anyway because I'm the new guy. So her and Joe end up getting rid of, they end up stashing the Jenna girl's body like in the barn, okay? Now, this point, the other rich people in the house, they are literally going crazy because they are doing drugs and they're trying to figure out who this fake killer is and they all realize that Jenna because they overhear Joe and Kate talking that Jenna is actually dead in real life so they go out and they find her in the barn why do they find her in the barn because Joe and Kate are having a private conversation so they thought but 
Um, I believe rolled one of the rich kids that has a crush on Kate. He was eavesdropping and he heard Kate freaking out about the fact that her bracelet fell off her arm when they were stashing Jenna in the barn. So then he follows Joe to the barn where Joe is like, don't worry, I'll get your, I'll get your bracelet back. And I'm like, girl, shoot, you lost the bracelet. That's not you. I guess you're going to have to go down for this. <laughs> like it's evidence, your bracelet with your name on it is right there. But whatever, Joe, crazy in love, right? So Joe runs to the barn and he goes to retrieve the bracelet and he is caught by Rold. So Rold literally has a shotgun and he's like, oh no, follow me. Now we know that you're the killer because you're here with the dead body and we're what you're going to give us all answers. Okay. So now Joe has to follow him back into the house and he is literally sitting there in front of the rest of the rich click crew that is still alive, but they are all just completely faded but they all have like a bow and arrow. They have a shotgun. Like they have these medieval weapons that literally they're supposed to be props, but if they use them could cause like major damage. So Joe is just freaking out and he is oddly enough, the only sane one in the room and he knows they're not going to listen to anything he says. Meanwhile, Kate is nowhere to be found because she is actually talking to one of the other girls that is at the party, one of her friends, and they're in a private room and she's explaining to her that, okay, you caught me. Like, I didn't kill Jenna, but this is what happened and we got rid of the body because we put it here and now this is a really difficult position and like her friend is trying to console her and she's like, yeah, I didn't really like her anyway. Yeah, it's very weird. So... Next thing you know, their rich click, they get all hyped up and like the rolled guy is like, okay, these are your final words. Like, do you have anything to say, Joe? Actually, let's go like on a hunt. I'll give you a chance, a head start to run and then I'll just follow after you and I have my shotgun and I'll get rid of you that way. So Joe is like, these people are crazy, which says a lot coming from Joe. So Joe takes off running and he's running through the woods. And so he hears the rolled guy running after him and he keeps firing the shotgun, but he keeps missing. Next thing you know, Joe gets knocked out in the woods. And when he opens up his eyes, he's shocked as to who he sees because it's not rolled. So he's not, he fades back out of consciousness. So then he wakes up literally in like the cellar that is underground. Yeah, it gets crazy. I'm telling y'all, season four, nuts. So he wakes up in this cellar that is underground. Next to him is Rold, but Rold is like also chained into a handcuff that's chained to the brick wall or the stone wall. So is Joe. And when Joe opens up his eyes, he sees none other than the author, Reese Montrose. Okay, now remember, y'all, Reese Montrose is the author that he met at the, the Sundry Club when he, read, when he met the entire rich clique. Now, this was the one guy he thought he could relate to. Reese is always comes on television and everything. And he's always like soliciting for like, we need to find this killer that is out on the loose. They're calling the killer the eat the rich killer. 
He's like, if you guys have any tips, please send them in. Meanwhile, plot twist, he is the actual killer. Now, he's rich as well, but he grew up poor. He didn't know he was rich until he found out that he was related to a duke that left him a crazy amount of money. So now it's almost like he's getting vengeance for like the life that he grew up with, with no money. And he's like hateful towards these kids that have grown up with money. So now he is like knocking them off one by one and he wants to blame it on Joe. But now he's giving Joe the idea of, hey, how about me and you work together? Like, I didn't know you were so clever. Like, I found out who you are. Like, you're Joe Goldberg. You were married to love. I did all the research. It took me a while, but I found it out. Now, pause. At one point during the season, Joe walks into his apartment and there's all these newspaper clippings all over his wall, all of these like magazine printouts and articles from the internet showing like Joe's past life and history. So Joe freaked out. Then he got one of those disappearing text messages that says, I know who you are. You're Joe Goldberg. Like this is fun. And Joe has freaked out, but he still didn't know who was texting him. Now, fast forward back to the part of the story that I was at when they're in the cellar and he sees um, Reese Montrose's face and it is this author that has been stalking him and setting up these murders the entire time so Reese actually wants to work with Joe and he's like yeah we can get rid of all of them and we could just totally like change society actually for um, Malcolm's murder and for um, I believe Simon's murder you know what let's just blame it on um, and now the what's the girl that was on the floor I believe Jenna the one that was sprawled out across the floor yeah we can blame it on put it all on rolled since he's over here he's laying on the ground he's unconscious we can just pin it all on him and then we can continue to work together and we can get this done meanwhile Joe is like what like I like retired from that life like I am Jonathan Moore get it right like you are crazy are you insane Meanwhile, nobody knows that he is underground in this cellar. So who is going to save him? So at that point, Reese is like, okay, well, you don't want to work with me. I get it. I understand. Fine. You know what? We'll just pick this up back in London if you make it back to London. Okay. So let me just go ahead, light this fire and good luck and then he rushes out of the cellar meanwhile joe is still attached to the wall he is kicking and going crazy he is like trying to like find something around him so that he can detach and get out of these handcuffs so that he can escape the fire before the entire like ground floor is on fire so meanwhile kate realizes oh my gosh where's joe like or i guess jonathan I need to find him like he's probably in danger. Our friends are going crazy. And so her and her friend run off to try to find him. Now, when he goes, when she goes looking for him, the friends are like, oh, he's being chased through the woods by Rold. They don't even realize that the Reese Montrose guy showed up. But now Reese Montrose has disappeared. Okay, so now 
we see Joe, he is able somehow to like kick and fight and get out of these handcuffs. And Rold wakes up because the smoke from the fire has him coughing and it wakes him like up back to consciousness. And he's like, Joe, please. I mean, well, he's like, Jonathan, help me out. Help me out. Like, please don't leave me down here to die. And so this is like the real test for Joe because he could just like let him burn up. I mean, Rold was going to literally kill him like with the shotgun. But it shows that Joe is really trying to change. Joe decides to help him get um, like out of his handcuffs. And then they both, he pushes him through the chute to get out of the cellar. And then Joe makes his way up. And when he comes to the sunlight, we see that Kate is there to welcome him with open arms and was like, oh my gosh, are you okay? So... Now, it fast forwards to their present day time in London and Joe is just at home and he cannot believe his life right now. Now he knows who was trying to blackmail him and who the real killer is, but he turns on the television and he sees none other than Reese Montrose smiling on TV as the author, um, as an uh, as an famed author, and he wants to make an announcement to the citizens of London that he, in fact, will be running for mayor. And the season comes, well, and part one comes to a close. Yeah, it is very good. It is a juicy story. Of course, he has this fascination with Kate, but it's also he has his mind on so many other things this season as well. And it's someone that's also gunning for him at the same time. Yeah, I'm so excited. Part two comes out March 9th. Um, so I cannot wait to watch the next five episodes when they come out on March 9th. I am going to watch it in one day. I already know each episode is an hour, but it is worth all five hours of your time. If you get a chance, please watch it. Yeah, we see the trailer for upcoming part two and you see a glimpse of love and you're like, wait, his wife that was supposed to be burnt up in the fire. Oh, she's still living and breathing. Oh, yeah, because she's just as crazy as him. Yeah, so I'm excited about that. We still know that Marianne is a factor. The hitman thinks that Joe got rid of her, but she's still a factor. So it is possible that she could still pop back up in the story. She still know that Joe Goldberg exists and she could sound the alarm on that at any time. Also, now, how is this going to work with him and Kate? How is the rich clique going to look at him moving forward? Are they still looking at him as the killer? Is he going to tell people that Reese Montrose is the actual killer? Are they even going to believe him? This guy is golden. He's running for mayor. And how many more victims will he try to put on his victim list before the season comes to a close y'all I have no idea but this is very good it is some juicy stuff and shout out to my cousin for telling me to give it a second chance it was every bit of worth it if you get a chance you should definitely check that out yes so wrapping up the show with our quick um streaming news so of course like I said you season four part two the last five episodes come on on march 9th on netflix you don't want to miss that also brand new bel-air on peacock season two is back new episodes come out on thursday so there are two episodes that are out right now yeah y'all should definitely check that out it is the 
the remake of The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, but they did not mess up or shame the original in any type of way. It is definitely its own like modern new look and feel and storylines, but they do take the characters. They have the same names um, and some of the same storylines to an extent as the original show as well. But uh, Will Smith is one of the executive producers over the show, so he has his hand in it as well. And the actors are doing great. So you can check that out. Or if you want to save a dime, you could wait about two and a half months and then all of the episodes will be out and then you can just pay for Peacock for one month and then watch it, binge watch it quickly and then get rid of it. Yeah, that was my money saving tip for the day. (laughs) Yeah, and then in national news, yeah, I know it is the month of March, but it is still winter time. So make sure you are mindful of the weather. Check your weather app. Wear a coat. Yeah, this is the time of the year where people get sick because sometimes the weather is warm. Sometimes it's cold. Let me remind y'all, it is still winter time. So spring does not actually start until Monday, March 20th, this year, 2023. So again, we are spring. The official first day of spring is March 20th, which is on a Monday. And my question is, are we springing forward this year? Do y'all know? Are y'all aware? I'm gonna Google that. I believe we are. I hate springing forward. That's just my opinion. I love falling back where you like get an extra hour of sleep, but springing forward, like, let's just, on a Monday? It's like, people have to go to work? Like, just count me as late before, like, okay. Yeah, anyways, (laughs) y'all don't want to hear on my foolishness. (laughs) But just to end the show, of course, I end it with a quote. So my quote of the day, and they usually minister to my heart, so I hope they do the same to yours. But my quote is, an anonymous quote we don't know who the author is but it is your mind is a garden your thoughts are the seeds you can grow flowers or you can grow weeds let me read that one more time your mind is a garden your thoughts are the seeds you can grow flowers or you can grow weeds Y'all, this has been another episode of Excuse Me, I'm Speaking. I hope that you guys thoroughly enjoyed it. Please send your comments, your feedback, your everything, anything you want me to know or that you would like to hear in the show. Send it to me via text, phone call, or Instagram at sheistwinkle1. I look forward to hearing from you all. And I promise you, I will be back next week with another great episode of Excuse Me, I'm Speaking. This is your host, She Is Twinkle, signing out. Love you all. Bye-bye.